Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen. I'm Jennifer Griego. Today I'm here with my dad, my uncle Dave Bresnahan, and my cousin Matthew Bresnahan. My uncle uh, grew up playing a bunch of sports. He played baseball and football in high school at Girard. He got a baseball scholarship to Grand Canyon University, and then he got drafted by the Seattle Mariners in June of 84, played there for two years, and then played for the Cleveland Indians for two years. He kind of ended his minor league career with um, a potato story, which we will get into later. He... um, went on ESPN and his number was retired in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and we will obviously get into that later and my cousin Matthew Bresnahan is my uncle's youngest son. He's 21. He goes to ASU right now. He works for the Giants here in Arizona and then he went um, to Seton and played baseball and football. Okay today we are going to talk about youth sports and club sports and parents and their role of coaching and just being the parent on the stands during those sports and just overall playing sports as a kid and how growing up with that. So what's up, guys? Good to have you here. Hey, glad to be here. I should have thrown a potato. <laughs> yeah. I would have got a longer intro, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should have just been good. <laughs> just don't throw anything here. <laughs> so, Uncle Dave, obviously you played sports as a kid and you loved it. So did you play just baseball or football growing up, or did you play a whole bunch of sports? Well, I mean, typically growing up in, in the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s, most of what we did was um, playing with the neighborhood friends, and we played a variety of sports, mm. and it was all organized by us, and we would play off the wall, we would play, you know, tackle football, it was, it was not organized, but back then, there was no club sports, mm. so in baseball season, typically at nine years old, which is the first year I started playing baseball, is when you could sign up for Little League. Mm. Uh, Pop Warner football was popular, and I started playing Pop Warner when I was 10 years old. And those were the first two organized sports that I played. But what I think is different, you know, back then compared to today is that we as neighborhood kids would organize ourselves and create teams. And we had to organize, you know, where the game was played, whatever the game was. Mm-hmm. And that was very intriguing because it didn't require any adults to organize it. We figured that stuff out. So that was different back then than it is today. But it was the the enjoyment of the competition, Yeah. whatever the game was. Now, I'm one of six, ki- uh, one of six in my family. So, you know, it was a very competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And um, I just enjoyed competing in yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. So I know obviously now and my brothers both play baseball growing up, like there's T-ball and a bunch of like levels of little league. So was that a thing back then or did it kind of, you just kind of went into it? No, I don't remember that. So the first time I played at age nine was little league and that was players pitched. There was Mm -hmm. no coach pitch. There wasn't T-ball. Yeah. There was, you know, put the uniform on and, you know, and, uh, you, uh, you played. Yeah. So, um. I know that um, Ryan, my middle son, I signed him up to play with his older brother, and he was not even three years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was available, and, and, you know, wanted to get them involved. And I I wish that I was able to play in an organized sport even before age nine because mm-hmm. I had such a passion for at least baseball. Yeah. So then you just kind of went into high school just – playing football and baseball and loving it, and then you just devoted yourself to baseball and played all the way through? 
Yeah, it's. Um, I always. I really enjoyed watching the Cubs. You know, when I lived in Chicago, mm-hmm. and so that passion for baseball started to really um, captivate me. And I did have some success as a young player, and um, I wanted to. I wanted to be a major league player. Mm-hmm. Is you know way back when I was probably ten years old, and. Um, so I wanted to figure out what is it that I have to do in order to be a major league player. So obviously, you play in high school, you better be pretty good. Then play in college, you better be pretty good in order to get to the next level, and mm-hmm. that is to get drafted. And then you have several minor league stints that you have to be pretty dang good in order to keep you know, moving on. And yeah. I got to the double-A level, so I <laughs> fell short, but I mean, I don't regret it a minute, but... It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of fun. I've made a lot of great friends, and baseball is, is, uh, has been a great experience for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and baseball is a very, like, grueling sport, like, in the minor leagues. How was it going, like, playing in the minor leagues? What, what was your schedule like, and just what was it like? The minor leagues, there's very few days off, mm-hmm. and we played 140 games in probably 143 days, so there was a lot of all-night bus rides. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I really did. I loved it. I played in all parts of the country. And um, it wasn't grueling. The only grueling part was was not playing well mm. and always fearing, you know, them taking the uniform off of you. Oh, yeah. And um, You play ball like a girl! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, baseball's got a lot of failure. Mm. And... Um, even the best players, you know, get into ruts, and there's uh, quite the challenge to be able to overcome that and, uh, you know, keep plugging along. And uh, But I still, I, I loved, you know, every day of my four-year experience in the minor leagues as well as the four years that I um, played in college mm-hmm. and even my four years in high school. Each one had its... Uh, um, different uh, experiences, but I, I loved all of that. It was just a really enjoyable time, you know, that uh, you know, that I had be able to play baseball, you know, at least that long. Yeah, and you said, like, the grueling part is, <clears throat> like, not like being in a rut or something. Obviously, I play tennis, and so it's very different from baseball. And the thing I love about tennis is it's you on the court the whole time, and you get every ball and you hit every shot. And baseball is very different. You have a couple times at bat, maybe in a game, you're in the field, and maybe you'll get a ball every once in a while. So how is it, like, is it a lot of pressure when you're at bat or a lot of pressure when the ball comes to you to make your play, make a, make a good play so you may not get the ball again in the game? Or well, whatever. tell us what positions you played. So I played catcher, and uh, I was a switch hitter, which I you know, joke with people that I couldn't hit from either side of the plate. But <laughs> I learned how to – I taught myself how to switch hit when I was about 13, and I stuck with it. And, and it's hard enough to hit on one side of the plate. And, you know, again, when I was younger, um, I enjoyed the challenge. But as I moved up levels, it was uh, more and more challenging to, you know, fine-tune my swing on both sides of the plate, right-handed and left-handed. And, you know, um, I really enjoyed catching because – it is the second most important position on mm-hmm. the field behind the pitcher because you're very involved in, you know, obviously catching every pitch and calling pitches and trying to get hitters out. So you're very engaged, and I really enjoyed that part of the game. But uh, baseball does have a lot of failure. So if you hit 300, you know, you're considered a success, but you're failing seven times out of ten. 
and uh, it, it can be very mentally challenging because of, you know, so much failure in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, obviously, we I know you from your, well, I know your potato story has been very popular throughout our family. And um, I just kind of wanted to hear the story from you because I've heard my mom say it and I've heard everyone else say it. So, I just kind of want to know, like, your take on it because I know different perspectives are different. Right. So in 1987, um, when I was with the Indians, it was in the double A league and the Eastern league. And we were in last place and everyone was looking forward to going home at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, you know, you play a long season and, you know, the team's not doing well, um, we try to find things to kind of take our mind off of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I was the backup catcher. So I spent a lot of time in the bullpen. And so there's a lot of goofy stuff that happens in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, one of my teammates and was, you know, we're just joking around about different types of things to, to trick runners. And then I thought of, hey, what if we brought a, a potato or an onion or something, you know, that was not a baseball and we tricked a runner? And it was just talk. You yeah. Know? And then a few of my teammates said, why don't you do it? You know, mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, well, you know, pull a prank like that during the game is you know that's I mean that's going over the edge mm -hmm. and um, you know the challenge from my teammates you know kind of carried on its own momentum and of course there was a double header coming up and I knew I was going to catch one of those games and we were playing the Phillies and I thought you know what okay I'll do it so that <laughs> was going to be the game and I knew I was going to catch and uh, I had to figure out what is the best way to do it. So I thought if there was a guy at third with two outs and I can hide the peeled potato because I decided that was the best thing to use and uh, as far as it looking most like a baseball. Mm -hmm. And um, to get it on the field, I had to figure out how to do that. So I put it in a spare glove in my bag in the dugout. Mm. And then when a guy would get the third with two outs, I would tell the umpire that my glove was broke. I needed a new glove to get my spare glove in the dugout. Sure enough, sure enough, that happened. So a guy got to, actually, we got a guy on second with one out. And it was a left-handed batter up. And I was calling off-speed pitches so the left-handed batter would pull the ball to the right side to get that mm. runner from second to third. And sure enough, that happened. So once I had the runner at third with two outs, that set the stage. And all my teammates knew, now the potato play is in play. So, so everyone knew that was going to happen. Correct. Everyone but my manager. Oh, so just your team, your teammates yeah. knew? Okay. Yeah, of course, my manager, he would never allow me to do it. So mm -hmm. we had to, you know, keep that on the down low. But uh, running back to the dugout to get my spare glove with the peeled potato in it, um, of course, I couldn't look up at my teammates because I'd start busting out laughing. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was able to switch the glove. I went back to the home plate area. And then I had to call a pitch that the hitter wouldn't hit because mm -hmm. the potato was in my glove when I called the pitch, and I called a, uh, like a slider low one away. And then as the pitch was being thrown, I transferred it from my glove hand to my bare hand. Mm -hmm. And the pitcher threw the pitch, and it was, again, purposely low and away so the hitter wouldn't hit it. And he actually threw it in the dirt, so I had to pick it a little bit. And I came up and threw the potato. You know, mm -hmm. I was supposed to make a bad throw, you know, over the third baseman's head, who was my roommate, Rob Swain, and he knew not to try to catch it. 
but because it's a smaller than a baseball mm. and it doesn't quite fit your hand the same way. Yeah. And they're slimy too, right? And well, it's a little moist, yeah. So it, it still doesn't feel right. But yeah. you know, all I had, but I had to look like I was trying to pick them off. So when I when I threw it, I wanted to throw it a little bit high, but I hung on to it a little bit further. And it was a good throw. I mean, yeah. if he would have caught it, I think he would have tacked him out. But he knew not to catch it, so he kind of short-armed it. Mm-hmm. And, and the potato rolled out in the left field. And the runner, again, he thought it was the ball. And I was fearing the whole time that, what if this doesn't work? I'd look yeah. like a jackass, mm-hmm. you know. So the guy, it worked. <laughs> I looked up, and his name was Rick Lumblade. He went to Stanford, and he was big guy, six foot five, 220 pounds. He, he's lumbering home. <laughs> and I'm like... I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to work. <laughs> so I put my head down and kind of act like I was upset because I just threw the ball away. Mm-hmm. And then just before he touched home, I stepped up in front of him, and I tagged him out, and I showed him the ball. Mm-hmm. And he looked like, what was that? And then I rolled it on the mound. Of course, that was the cue for my teammates to come off the field, which is why I wanted to do it with two outs. Yeah, yeah. So that the umpire would have to bring all of the, uh, the players back on the field. But everybody was just laughing in their glove, you know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, a lot of craziness, and my manager came out. Of course, he didn't know what happened, and, you know, the, the umpire was not real happy. <laughs> I, I threw a potato, and, again, I just thought it, it would, you know, be one of those things where maybe they would kick me out, send the runner back to third, and then we would all laugh about it, yeah. you know. But the umpire didn't rule that. He ruled the run, scored, was good. Oh. And I was like, oh, man, that's not what I thought. I stayed in the game. We got the next hitter out. But the next half inning, I was due up like third or fourth that inning. And my manager pinched it for me. He took me out of the game. And that was actually my very last play. And I got an error on that play. <laughs> we actually uh, came back and won that game. Turner Gill was a teammate of mine. He had a bases loaded double in that bottom half of the inning. Dang. So, again, we went from 35 games behind first place to 34. But, <laughs> and that was the first game of the doubleheader. And then going into the locker room after the game, you know, we were all kind of excited, you know, because mm-hmm. it was kind of cool. The Philly Fanatic was there on a promo. We were playing the Phillies and in Pennsylvania, even though we were the Indians. Our double-A team was in Pennsylvania. And, again, we just thought it was just kind of a a prank, minor league ball prank, that we could all joke about it years from now, and that would be it. Yeah. But, no, my manager was upset because I think he felt, you know, Okay, so you're 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 telling the story like it's like a oh yeah, I went to the doctor, just like a regular story. You threw a potato in a professional baseball game. The manager had no idea. This is the professional this is this is I mean Well, you know, maybe you get lost in the forest and I know, but you're you're just you're just going, Yeah, I mean it just happened, I just threw a potato. Yeah, you threw a potato. Stupid is stupid does Yeah. But uh, you just you you hear that I've heard that story story so many times. You just just to put yourself in the mind of the manager, you're what a ninety loss team. You're one of the worst teams. I mean, <laughs> that's a great way to say that. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And you're, you're. I mean, you know, bad things are coming for your job. I mean, you you failed. Honestly, if you're one of the worst teams in your league, you, it's a failure. I mean, there's no other way to look about it. And then you see a potato on the field, and you're just like. Just how yeah, the optics were bad, but you know, yes, a- again, so, <laughs> well, again, everyone's just looking forward to the season to end yeah, because like, we had like, just two more games, I think, after that, and you know, it's it, it's man, uh, the Phoenix Suns uh, G League team, yeah, one of the players threw a a, a cantaloupe, cantaloupe, yeah, on the field, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Well, they fake anyways. the inbounds, and I mean, it's weird. And this is all before social media and yeah. all that stuff. But, yeah. um, but I, you I, still got you got a lot of uh, attention out of it. It's gonna yeah, be a Letterman. Well, it was uh, it was really baffling at the time because when it happened, really, I didn't think it would even get outside of Williamsport. Yeah. But, so so back to the what happened that day. So my manager called me into his office. Mm-hmm. You know, at, in between the games, of course, mm. we're eating like hot dogs, a little snack before we get out for the second game. Mm. He called me in, yeah, and he fined me fifty dollars, <laughs> and I was like, okay. I mean, I can live with that. When I got out of his office, which is part of the locker room, um, one of my teammates, you know, he knew I was going to get fined, and he had said, "Brez, how much is the fine?" I said, fifty dollars, and he goes, "Okay, everybody, two bucks to pay for Brez's fine." And again, that was it. We go in to play the second game. And we, we go out, you know, eating after the game, and we're talking uh-huh. about the potato and how, you know, interesting that whole thing was. And then we thought that would be it. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning, I get called in, and I got released. Yeah. Well, that was unexpected. And then... Really? The re- you, you it was. Hit, you did hit under 200. No yeah, offense. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, and threw a potato. But, again, I didn't, you know... They did, actually... Was it sort of like this? You're Yeah, but they did ask me if I would be interested in coaching. Of course, I wanted to continue playing. So, but I was a coaching candidate, and typically catchers are. Mm -hmm. But again, I just thought it was going to be a prank that everybody would laugh about it and move on. I really did, and so did my teammates. But when I got released and it hit the UPI and the AP wire, um, that's when it went crazy, because that was the year. In 1987, there was a player, uh, Billy Hatch got caught with cork in his bat. Steve Howe was a pitcher for the Dodgers who had been suspended like five times for abusing drugs. Mm-hmm. And they kept allowing these guys back in and the Doc game. Doc Gooden. Wasn't that the same year Doc Gooden got caught uh, with cocaine? And Pretty sure. I think it's just the whole Mets organization. Yeah, was there was drugs. a lot of cocaine <laughs> going on in the 80s. And, you know... Um, you know, I, I never partook in yeah. any of that. I didn't need that. But Daryl um, Strawberry also. Ooh, yeah. that girl looks cute in the stands. Yeah. I mean. Okay, easy, big fella. <laughs> that's just what happened. That's what happened. I mean, but, the 80s were a crazy time. For yeah, baseball. it was. Yeah. So um, getting released um, was, uh, and then when it went, uh, you know, was reported that it got released, yeah. that's when, you know, all the sports writers and mm-hmm. people were calling me for, you know, an interview. Yeah. And that's when it just kind of took off. And people kind of felt bad for me that, mm-hmm. you know, these other guys get these second, third, and fourth chances. This poor guy puts a little humor in the game. And, you know, God, they get, you know, they release him. They yeah. take his job away. And, you know, I knew that I, I was probably at the end of my career, although I still wanted to continue to play. Um, but, that was my last play, you know, and I mm. got an error on it, and I've got good stories to tell, but that really was the beginning of all of the attention that people were giving the play, you know, which because it, it was a lot to do with my teammates and the team, and it was a team prank, and it was just something that, of course, has got my name on it because I threw it. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, just think about it. All the teammates, oh, Think about it. Would you pay two dollars to see a potato flying through the air in a game? I mean, what teammate would not say two dollars? I mean, that's oh to pay for the part of the fine. Yeah, well, I mean, so you know what? I never did pay my fine. The next morning, you know, when I got released, mm-hmm. I I stopped by the grocery store and got like two bags of potatoes, and I dumped <laughs> them on my manager's desk, and I left the note, 
you know, Orlando, and Orlando Gomez was the manager. I said, Orlando, certainly you don't think that I'm going to pay the $50 fine, but here's 50 potatoes, and I said, this spud's <laughs> for you. Of course, he wasn't real happy about that. And I stuck a potato in each guy's locker, and, of course, you know, that was it. But, you know, it, it was within 24 hours I got called by NBC Sports to be on Game of the Week with Marv Albert in Yankee Stadium. And Dang. then, yeah, David Letterman called, and, you know, it was, it was just crazy. And then, you know, there was a TV station out of New, uh, Tokyo that flew me out to be on some variety show because the Yankees and the Indians are the two popular teams in mm -hmm. Japan, mainly – the Indians because of the movie Major League. Mm. And I, Japanese humor, I guess, is kind of silly, and they just love the <laughs> potato story, so they flew me to Japan and um, did some minor league promotional opportunities. I never wanted to get paid, you know, so I always asked them to fly, you know, me or someone else, and I've taken my wife, and I took friends, and and uh, always enjoyed, you know, sharing that story with people that saw the humor in it because yeah. I, I'm certainly... You know, I respect the game, and I was not, and I, and I guess I get hurt when people feel like I, you know, stain the game, which is, I mean, I, I have utmost respect for the game. It was just one of those minor league moments that just kind of, you know, ran its own kind of course. That, and you also got named Sportsman of the Year that year, right? Yeah, Bob Verdi, yeah, Chicago Tribune. Um, he, he I remember the. The title of that article was uh, in the year of uh, of uh, of like scandal because of the baseball players with the uh, with the the cork in their bat was yeah. Billy Hatcher and then Joe Necro had had an emery board a file in his back pocket and in the year of scam and sleight of hand he gives the award to Bresnahan that was the <laughs> title of the article and. It was pretty wild because it was Walter Payton's last uh, game as, as a Chicago Bear. It was in December. Bob Verde, the writer for Chicago Tribune, named me the sports person. Here again, this is in the you know December of 1987, and it's just crazy to think that you know that that would happen. I mean, yeah. again, I just thought it would be you know done you know that night, and that yeah. just continues. I mean, five years and ten years, and ESPN flew me out and. Well, I was a national celebrity, famous or even in Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> One thing we're not talking about, which I think needs to be addressed, and it should be uh, put in the mainstream. So, you look at the Chicago Cubs. You're the Cubs. mainstream now, Jen. Yes. Yeah, they, well, yeah, you got to get it out there. The Chicago Cubs, <laughs> the curse of the Billy Goat. The Red Sox, curse of the Greg Bambino. The Cleveland Indians, the curse of the potato, or the flying potato. Haven't won a World Series since. I mean... Um, you look at 2016 against the Cubs. I mean, that oh, they blew a 3-1 lead. Curse of potato, rain. That kind of could be. He could have been the potato. catcher in the show. I'm telling you, right? Get it? And they they've had I think the longest uh, World Series drought of any MLB franchise right now. It's solely because of the curse of potato. I'm telling you, oh, okay. we get it. We got to get it out there. All right, we're starting the urban legend here. Yeah. yeah so right. actually, what happened? What he left out was saying, "Hey, Orlando, I." will forever curse the Cleveland Indians will <laughs> never win a world championship as long as I'm alive. <laughs> and then that's the curse of the potato. Dang. Could be. All right. Well, that Matthew's running with that, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, well, well, we can make. I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, curses, man. People are afraid of curses. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew's just trying to hype it up. I yeah. am. Because hey, you're, you're talking to melodramatic. You threw a potato. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> funny. It's wacky. It's something different. Yeah. I mean... 
you act like minor leaguers though. Well, it, it, shit just oh stuff just happens like yeah. all the time. I mean, well, it but it's interesting, you know that um, that is kind of the topic, and I'm and I'm okay with it, but that that's not what defines me, and I and I that's what I'm kind of guarded about. I you know I don't want to be referred to mm-hmm. as the like the potato guy because that again it does you know I, it's hard to run from that but um and i embrace it i mean it's fun as long as people see the humor in it but yeah i, I mean i just love the game i'm a season yeah. ticket holder to the diamondbacks since they've been here in 98 i mean i love baseball it's a passion and and you know i love football and college basketball and it's just uh you know it's just a part of me and you know and and watching that as a fan now yeah. coaching my kids you know mm-hmm. um uh, the enjoyment of the game and you know what the game brings and the type of uh, character it builds and you know that experience you know with the potato and everything it just goes to show you you, you just really never know what to expect and yeah. and to live life you know to the fullest and and again I don't regret it mm-hmm. I would have never thought that it would have all happened that way yeah yeah but sure. that's what makes life interesting I guess yeah but, yeah something you probably wouldn't think what. 30 years later, some random people's mailing you or whether it was email or uh, through old-fashioned mail about, hey, can I meet you at a Starbucks? So, no, it's like, right. yeah. dude, I mean. Matthew was with me, yeah. So well, well, first off, he he was like, you were sketched out about this guy offering, so you set me as like protection? What was what was? Well, that? I just, yeah. Some, some, some guy I didn't want to go. Every once in a while, people will send me like my old minor league baseball card which or kind of weird. send me something to sign mm-hmm. and you know i guess i'm not that tough to find but people do send stuff and they'll That's ask so me funny. to sign it and one guy says i hear you live in arizona and i would love to meet you <laughs> and i you know I was, oh, I was thinking okay but i you know let well, me bring the, my 20 year old son to yeah, make sure well, he's yeah so we did meet at a starbucks well, he, he brought there. you Matthew. yeah i was i was the, yeah. because the muscle danger is my business <laughs> okay, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean. So yeah, that was that was kind. Of, I kind of, kind of forgot about that. Yeah, you know, that happened weird. what last year? Yeah, last summer. Yeah. It's it's weird because so you, crazy. you you think yeah. <laughs> you think about stuff. I'm like, no, no offense to this guy. I mean, I'm sure he's a great person, but I mean, and there, and there is there's a couple books out there. He that, was a quirky dude. Yeah, too. He, yeah, I mean, baseball does attract a lot of strange people. Yeah, you know, yeah. like well, so. don't don't judge the guy. I'm so not a raper. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, so you said that your manager or asked you about coaching. Did you ever coach? Because I know you coached your kids. Did you ever coach anything else before that, or just? Uh, actually, um, I did. Uh, so when I got released from the Mariners, um, uh, I did coach back at the high school I went to, um, and and I got called by the Indians and. Um, so I had to leave that team. I was coaching the JV team, and that was mm-hmm. for about three weeks. That was my first foray into coaching mm-hmm. in between the Mariners and the Indians. But when the Indians called during spring training to give me an opportunity, you know, to, you know, to uh, to earn a spot, and uh, so off to Tucson I went, where where they spring trained, and and I did make a team and uh, played in '86, and then, you know, actually. I did pretty well that year mm-hmm. and, and made the all-star team. I, you know, Mark Grace was on my team and, um, you know, Matt Williams was in the league at the time. Um, Larry Walker, we had some pretty good players. And um, 
So that year, uh, our team won the Midwest League Championship, and uh, that kind of earned the right for me to make the team in double A because that's what you want to do as a minor league player. You want to be able to progress one level each year. Yeah. And uh, so that's what got me to double A in 87, of course. But um, I didn't really um, go back into coaching until a couple years I was done playing, which was 1990. A friend of mine was a high school baseball coach in Scottsdale, and mm. he asked me to coach their JV team. So um, my schedule was flexible. Um, I was involved in real estate. So that was my first team that I coached was at Coronado High School oh, in cool. 1990. And uh, I loved it. You got a brawl. Yeah, with Arcadia. And I loved it. <laughs> I love, you know, because it was coaching 15- and 16-year-old kids, yeah. good kids too. And, you know, again, my the passion I had for the game, I, I wanted to share it with these guys. And, and you know, I enjoyed it. And we did very well. I think, I think we went undefeated. It was just JV, but still, yeah. it was just, you know, it doesn't matter what level when you start coaching – you know, you just really start to appreciate the kids and yeah. and what they bring. And, you know, and I did think, you know, is that something I want to pursue, coaching? You know, it's, it's you know, kind of hard, you know, to raise a family that way. And, mm. um, you know, I decided, you know, that I can, you know, eventually have kids and maybe I can coach them. So, and then that's what happened. So, you know, having the f good fortune of having three boys, um, I coached them in, you know, in various sports. Um and uh, and really enjoyed that too. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, like you said, you coached the boys when they were younger. So like, what age did they all start at? And then did you start coaching from the beginning, or did you kind of start later? Well, having the three, and, and basically they're about two years apart. Um, actually, Matthew, you're like three years younger than Ryan, and then my two older ones are just about two years apart. So my older one, Colin, you know, we got him involved in sports at a very young age because there's all kinds of programs that mm -hmm. you can get your kids involved and um and I was you know my wife and I Julie we were very you know um proactive and you know getting our kids involved in all kinds of things because we understand you know getting them involved in a team sport and what it does for their development you know accountability and you know all that stuff and it was my first you know kind of foray into the transformation of what was going on that was way different than what I was growing up in. And that is towards the end of each season and parents going around collecting money for trophies and stuff mm -hmm. for fifth place and sixth place teams, yeah. you know, now I get it if they won something, but that was my first experience with my older boy that he was on a, on a youth football team that were Owen eight and um, parents went around the last game of the year collecting money for trophies and of course you know they came up to me and I I said look I'll give you the money but they shouldn't get trophies yeah and the mom looked at me like well we gotta get them trophies I said no they didn't win anything mm -hmm. so they got their trophies and at the Peter Piper pizza you know we yeah. had the end of the season banquet one of the most proudest dad moments I had was when my son took his trophy when we came and this home. This was Colin. This was yeah. Colin. When we came home, you know, he put that trophy in the trash can. He goes, "I didn't, <laughs> I didn't earn this." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, why? I must be doing something right, you know, because, you know, and and that again, there was many years of coaching before that, but that was one poignant moment that kind of underlines some of the things that are going on mm -hmm. now. You know, is yeah. You know, I, I don't think you should honor someone 
just for participating. Yeah. You you can, you know, acknowledge them. But you don't right. celebrate. Acknowledge is the better. Yeah, there's a better word. But yeah. you know, honoring them because there is only one winner. Yeah. You know, and you know, so that's and have the Colin, you know, Colin having that, you know. I guess insight that he knew he didn't earn anything, mm. and then for him to do that, I, I was just very proud of him. And yeah. so um, I, has, I still have my O and eight trophy for football. <laughs> so I, I have it hanging out my room. Yeah. So I guess we know now. <laughs> I guess Tom's better than you. Who the favorite child is? But I, mean, <laughs> right. I still cherish that trophy. I look every yeah, time. Right. I, like, I tried hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about effort, man. Yeah. So and I'm a winner today. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that kind of affects the kids and how they play? That no matter what they do, no matter if they win or not, they get the trophy. Because I remember growing up, I played softball for like five years, like uh, for grade school, and then I play tennis now, and I'm always so excited to get i want to win i want to get the trophy and be able to come back and be like look what we won like look what i want for the school look what i want for my team and so do you think getting a trophy no matter what place you place kind of takes that away yes well, i don't I think th- i think no. that most kids just think about the snack afterwards that's well, very true i'd say half i mean yeah. you say well it's all about the good parent who has a good snacks because you know there's always one healthy parent. It's like oh we're gonna get, we're gonna give apple like that's we're more have bananas. Yeah, like no, that, we want like pop tarts. Well, like that's more snacks. the age I mean, thing. So the younger they are, the whole snacks thing was a yeah. huge, you know, drama moment for us because having three boys, no matter who was playing, the snack thing was always a little bit of a crazy, you know, awesome. um, Matthew you know, the youngest. That's why. Oh, huh. Well, because. The, the, the siblings want the snack. And I'm thinking, I mean, <laughs> it's two hours. I mean, they're going home to eat dinner. I just didn't understand the snack yeah. thing. No, I, I just <laughs> totally didn't get that. But, you know, so I mean, so back to coaching. So, I, you know, I, I did coach my boys, but they were also coached. And, I, of course, I encouraged them to, you know, to play other sports and be coached by other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did, you know, take time in trying to get them to understand that there's something to learn here, you mm-hmm. know, and um, failure is something that is hard as a as a parent. Yeah. To see your kids disappointed, that's one of the things that's really hard to see as a parent. And what I've learned, and, and I'm no different. I mean, you know, I want my kids to be happy, but sports can really, you know, bring out a lot of disappointment. Yeah. You know, if you're not picked for the team, or if you're not successful, or you know, whatever it is, I mean, it's a tough moment for a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old. And um, my take on it after many years of experience is you want your kid to fail. You really yeah. do, mm-hmm. I- even at a young age because... They learn. Right. They yeah. they have to have their own ability, you know, because parents can't fix things all the time. So they yeah. have to figure out how to fix things. Because that'll give them the confidence to be able to overcome other things in their life. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most important lessons, yeah, right? Sure. Is Absolutely. You, you own your own failures. And if you're if we celebrate losing and then it's equal to winning, people don't grow out of that. Yeah. I think it's really one of the problems that there's so many unhappy people now. They live in a false world on social media. They've been celebrated throughout their whole life. They've been told they're unique. They've been told they're the smartest kid. They've I'm been, not unique. They've gotten, well, no. I'm not you're special. Different. I'm not the best. <laughs> Damn it, man. I, but, I find this out today. Exactly. Oh, but then they wind up getting out of the real world, and, and it's brutal for them. Oh, I know. They're better yeah. off if they failed in sports. Yeah, because absolutely. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> well, no you, crying. You always see the – there's always – 
I mean, you, you go to any level, you can go to your local YMCA and see like a six-year-old basketball game. You always see, you can pick out the one, two parents that just take this like it's the MLB or the NBA. It's like, dude, calm down. The kids, I mean, they only, they just, they'll go out there just to have fun. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason. It's like no six-year-olds like, hey, why do you do this? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the NBA. It's like reality, you're going to be a 5'10 white guy. Like, look how many of those are in the NBA. No. So it's well, just Daddy all about. didn't even get there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but yeah. It's, it's... Neither will you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's like, come on. Like, it's, it's just, it just let these kids be kids. Yeah. And then you, you think about the, the, it's the specialization of sports at such a young age saying, if you want, your kid, you're going to be in the MLB, you're going to be in the NFL. I mean, realistically, I mean, it's like a 0.001% chance. Like, not really. I mean, so just let these kids experience all these different sports instead of specializing, oh, this one, hey, I'm going to play baseball from seven on up because I've met a lot of kids playing football. I've met a, kids, a lot of kids playing basketball. I'm not a great basketball player. Like I said, I'm the 5'10 white guy. I'm not going anywhere special. So, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've made friends playing basketball, and some of the closest friends I have today is playing basketball with them when I was in the sixth grade, just, like, just, just having fun. It's not about... I mean, yeah, you love to win because winning is fun. Losing isn't. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's all about just just camaraderie. Because, I mean, it's guys that you'll still talk to when you're 40, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Because of the experiences you had where you started bonding playing sports at such a young age. Yeah. yeah. And when you reach, you know, my age, 57, and you, re- you get, you know, reunions or you get together with, like, old teammates. Mm-hmm. And uh, we never talk about you know, our batting average or yeah. you know, how many points we have. I mean, no one you talks talk about, about the potato. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, really what we talk about is other stuff that happened yeah. and the experiences that we had and how much fun we had with each other, you mm. know, and those things that you go through, you know, in a season, you know, where those teammates is such a, a strong bonding period that that friendship stays with you, even though if you don't stay in touch for five, ten years, when you start to talk to them again, you pick it up as if those years never went by. Yeah. And those. Hey, what the hell's going on out here? Well, looks scary because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. Both. We need a live. Ro- <laughs> was there a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. We're yeah. dealing with a lot of shit. Oh, so you can't say shit. Well, uh, that's, that's a huge game I said you good. Okay, good. Kevin, right. Kevin so Costner could say shit. Yeah, so uh, you got... Okay, so what's interesting about that, so that was Bull Durham. That was filmed in 1987. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it actually you know, went out in movie theaters in 88, but it was filmed in 87. I played on that field in September or August of 87, Played about two weeks in the in the Carolina League, and uh, when they were making that movie, there was a few teammates of mine that were extras oh, in really? that movie, and uh, you'll notice, you know, that mound visit that Bob just played. Um, they filmed that like in October, and, and it was kind of cold in mm-hmm. Carolina, and you can see their breath. It's, it wasn't the summertime, you know. So yeah. I remember that I played on that field. So. Bull Durham is one of the my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and it really depicts minor league baseball probably better than any other movie. Oh, cool. Okay, oh. so I kind of want to go back to Matthew, what you were saying. Do you, and obviously Uncle Dave as a coach, have you seen parents maybe try and relive what they couldn't do in sports through their kids? <laughs> of course. I mean, no, it's, 
it's funny because you see these uh, parents and just like calm down. I mean, you 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 yell at the kids from the crowd, and what do you think? They're not trying. I mean, mm-hmm. but you you see these parents that are just like, and you they they stand out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Like the best advice for a parent is just to be seen, not heard. Yeah. Just I mean, just go there, root for your kid. If it, he loses or it goes over four. The, par- the point is, you, you shouldn't notice the difference whether he goes 0 for 4 with 4Ks or 4 for 4 with 4 home runs. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be a difference because you're yeah. there for them no matter what. But you see these parents, it's like, oh, hey, Billy got, he went 2 for 3 today. I think he, I think some college scouts saw him. I was like, dude, calm down. I mean, it's just all, it's, they're just trying to push these kids. Oh, there's a camp right there. Oh, let's, let's, go, let's, go, let's go to the camp. Maybe there's some LB scouts. Maybe they can see you. It's like, dude, does a kid want that? Or yeah. do you want that? I mean, no. well, I mean, from a parent's uh, perspective, um, parents always think their kids are better than they are. Yeah. And that's a rule that everybody's guilty of. Mm-hmm. There, there's not a parent out there, you know, who thinks their kid is worse than they mm-hmm. than they really are. They always think that they, they are better than they are. And um, when they start to see some success, that inflated opinion just gets grows and grows. And then mm-hmm. they have visions of grandeur i think well, the thing is that the parents are around the kids up until they go to college every single day almost every hour that they're not in school so when you're being told you're great for three quarters of the day for x amount of years you're gonna think that you're great so yeah. when you when you when you're like put in that mindset it's like, oh i'm awesome but then you go like for instance like going to scene catholic when we play like lower level schools you compare yourself against the other people that you're playing against, and like they're not that good. But then you go up to the the higher schools, you're like yeah, they're better than me. But it's the the way that you can look at someone else, and be like yeah, they're better than me, and not have the ego of being no, my parents said I'm pretty good, so I'm definitely better than that guy. Well, meanwhile, the guys get like a five star recruit going to like Arizona State. You're not better than that guy, but. It's just the false reality that so many people live in. Because I know my brother who isn't here that coaches for Seton. He, there's so many kids like, yeah, man, I think I'm going to go D1. It's like, dude, you're like 5'8". Chill out. <laughs> you're not going to go D1. And you're also like 120 pounds soaking wet. But, I mean, it's, it's a false reality. It's like there's nothing wrong with being small or skinny. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're out playing sports, having a great time. Because those memories, I mean – there, you're not gonna when you're 40 years old. You're not gonna be able to play in a league like. Yeah. That I mean, it's all about the memories. Unless you do want to go play pro and you have that talent and you do have that work ethic. Then, yeah, there, there's I mean, there's, there's not a major league or NBA or NFL football player that a parent got them there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unlike this recent you know college admissions scandal <laughs> going on, right. nobody's yeah. paying the Arizona Diamondbacks you know a million dollars so he can be put on the uh, yeah. Diamondbacks roster. I mean, you have to earn your way through it. And all the best thing that parents can do is, is support them, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally. Yeah. And uh, keep them on a level, you know, even keel mentally. And, and get out of their way. Because, yeah. you know, um, it's up to them, you know. And uh, I know sometimes parents just get a little overzealous and, and um, and that's uh, and that's really too sad. I mean that that happens, but well, more it does. more importantly, I, I think for me playing and experienced kids of my age who were born in the late '90s at least, that um, 
their mentalities like i mean some kids it's like i can't stand being in the same room with them and one story that is i mean the most glaring and the most obvious that stands out to me was my senior year of football we weren't the best team we we were we were struggling we were i think one and six and so we were undersized we were up a division than we previously were in the season uh what last year and so we get to a stage where we're getting beat up i mean the kids i mean you got kids going both ways i mean all the time in 100 plus degree temperatures yeah. it's it's grueling so uh, this was on when i was on defense i'm getting to play in from the coach see what defense style we're going to run and it's pretty complex i have a wristband saying four different things and he's holding up a number and i have to dictate based off their formation what we're going to do so it's all pretty hectic and so it's got it doesn't take one guy it takes all 11 to be on the same page because guess what if that dn's and lined up in the wrong spot gets blocked down that's a 40 yard touchdown run and it's on me because he wasn't in the same spot so one play ends and you got to have everybody looking at the coach and then there's this one kid who makes a tackle or he was in it was a big hodgepodge of people in a, mm-hmm. like a like a muddle and everybody gets up and then so i'm getting the play calls and the announcer says x this person on the tackle and one kid on my defense was like, that was me i had the tackle they're not announcing my name dude who gives a shit whether your name was called <laughs> get the play and he's like going off looking. so he's listening to the yes! podcast that's he's, funny and then he's like no he's it's I know, but so he's disappointing PA, i'm like dude attention who to that? cares who cares what the PA says? Oh, right. they said your name. Good for you. Maybe a girl will be like, oh, he got a tackle. Maybe he's – but who cares? I mean, it's so frustrating because he's, like, walking away, like, totally oblivious. Like, dude, we got to – Wasn't paying attention yeah. to the next play. And I'm, like, telling – because guess what? If he's lined up wrong because he's bitching about his tackle that he didn't get, I, I feel like it's my responsibility because he wasn't lined up. Mm-hmm. But it's like, dude, who cares? This is his parents. And I guarantee you he comes home it's like – Oh, did you did you hear my name got called on? It's well, like, oh, cool. What they should I mean, do is they should announce, you know, when they score a big play on you that they scored that sixty yard play yeah, on John. Yeah, right. <laughs> John Doe who yeah. missed four tackles on the last five plays. But no, yeah. it's it's just the attitude saying like I'm deserved. I, yeah. I, I get they're that. Just, it's like so stupid. Who yeah. cares? Their parents yeah. just like hype them up and they think they're all that. That well, that's just my trying to put two and two together. I mean, but it, it just shocked me. I'm like, dude, like. Yeah, being, as a parent in the stands, list, you know, for the football games, I always found it kind of amusing that after a twenty-yard run, yeah. if their kid <laughs> made a tackle, they would say, you know, John Smith on the tackle, and then the parents and whoever was around them or mm-hmm. relatives or what, they're all cheering. I'm thinking that's not really something you should cheer about uh, because the team just, you know, had a twenty-yard run. Well, yeah. It's just a lot of that stuff goes on that. It, it's it's out of context for what's going on in the game, you know. Yeah. And when so. you're bringing up the parents, um, at least last couple of years, going back to see my brother coach, it's um, pretty eye opening because I've never I haven't experienced a game from a high school football stands because I was playing and. and you, the parents that say stuff, it's like laughable because they're like, "Hey, Jimmy, make sure you like uh, catch the ball next to." I'm like, "Dude, no one hears you. No one cares." Like, I don't remember ever hearing something from the stands and being like, "Oh, that's a really great point. I'm gonna do that." It's like, dude, like just sit down, take a chill pill. It's Friday night. I mean, enjoy your son playing or 
or your cousin or whatever, your uncle, your aunt. I mean, just chill out. You guys need to chill out. Yeah, th- there should actually be a class, you know, mm-hmm. for <laughs> parents on yeah. how to cheer. Yeah. yeah. Because hitting a baseball is really difficult. You know, yeah. it's a round bat with a round baseball, and the pitcher is trying to do different things to the baseball, you know, to try to get you to swing and miss, and you got, you know, eight guys out there catching the ball. Very difficult, and there's a lot going on there. And when you got a parent, you know, in giving instructions to their kid, and their coach is going to then giving them instructions, it's way too much information. Well, you've so, done that. You do. And I have. Yes. There's there one time I remember. I remember the exact instant of my sophomore year against Maricopa, and I was struggling. And then of course I like popped out. And then I hear I'm going out to play defense, and you, you're telling me, "Hey, do this." I'm like, what? I literally got sat down by the coach telling one thing. It's like nothing was good. Right. It's not like you're gonna say. No, something. and I, I have been I'm guilty gonna... of that. And then I, you know, again, that's my passion. And other parents are guilty of the same thing. Yeah. But there's where you gotta you ratchet it down. You can talk to if you've got like baseball, you know, knowledge. But you know, everyone's played little league, so every dad out there feels like they have enough baseball knowledge to pass mm-hmm. on to their kid. But they need to trust their coaches. And um, and you know, Matthew's right. I mean, I've, I'm guilty of. You know, sharing like some instruction, yeah. sharing some instruction. But again, that's that's something that um, you have to understand. That leave that instruction to the coach. Yeah, and so I remember watching my brothers play baseball all the time. There's always parents in the stands yelling at the kids and like telling them what to do, even though the coach is standing right there. So, like, it's just best overall to just let the coach do their thing and let the kids listen to, like, one input from their coach who's coaching them and sees them at practice. Right. It's like they should have a bunch of things that they can say and things that they sh- you know they mm-hmm. can't say. Like, you know, let's go Billy, you know, mm-hmm. but trying to tell Billy, you know, that you need to keep your shoulder. Lay off that 3-2 slider, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> or, mean, yeah, don't swing at that pitch. You know, like, a lot what, of, what do you think I was trying to do? I was trying to strike out? Yeah. I mean, there's no, a There's a lot of negative stuff going on like don't strike out or you know or even hit a home run i mean that's that again you shouldn't even do that you just say come on come on billy you know that's yeah. that's all you should say oh just root for the team yeah, yeah. exactly well right. well the thing at the point is who who gives a shit what what you do that day it's all about whether the team should be it, it, and then yeah. i think what the problem is that when kids go home how how was the game oh i went two for four no, how'd your team do? Oh, we won five to seven, seven yeah. to five. And that's, I guarantee you, take nine out of 10 kids, they come home, they give you, well, baseball specifically, they give you their statting line. They don't say, oh, like I made, they never, oh, I made an error in right field. No, they always tell you, hey, I went one for four. I did this. I mean, it, no, the team won or the team lost. Right. But that, that should be the first thing. The yeah, talk one. about yeah. your team. Right, most exactly. But, I mean, yeah, it's this, it's this uh, oversaturated. And then nowadays with, I mean, max props for high school sports, I mean, it, like the way they cover sports is you can find out. I know when I played, you can find out your batting average, your whatever you want, your yards per carry in like a blink of an eye on max preps. Yeah. So this stuff's glaring. And, like, coaches can see that too. At a high school level, they can say, oh, like you struck out 10 times in your last 25 at-bats. I mean, so they, they can see this stuff, and, I mean, it, it is difficult, but, I mean, it does point, show you where you're going in this direction. So you already know. You don't need someone else's input saying, got to do this better. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I can see. 
And what's yeah. interesting is, you know, I've got a lot of you know, friends of mine that are scouts, um, professional baseball scouts, and scouts don't look at stats. They mm. look at how players uh, carry themselves. How do yeah. they adjust after, you know, striking out? Mm -hmm. What's their behavior? Are they a team player? Are they a selfish player? Because what they can see skill-wise in their size, and they have to project what's this person going to be like as a ball player by the time he's 24, 25 years old, and he's looking at a 16, 17-year-old. And typically a character of somebody, even at that age, is pretty much the character that they're going to have at 25. But, you know, is there room there physically? But they, what they really want to see is kind of their character, you yeah. know, because that really doesn't change much. Yeah, and, like, going back to the parents and, like, even, um, like, the players going into college – so, um, talk like with kids, obviously Matthew, like you in high school and Uncle Dave, mm -hmm. you in high school, kids who, um, played a club sport, like played club sport really young and pl were devoted to that sport year round. Like how often would they get burnt out through high school because they were just so devoted and their parents oh, pushed them towards yeah, that well, one sport? Well, I don't know if it's the parents, but some, sometimes the some, parents, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's parents. Sometimes one of my best buddies, I mean, he's awesome in the classroom. He's awesome on the baseball field. I mean. He's a, they, they play baseball all year round, school, school all, I mean, it's tough, stuff, tough classes, tough material, and they're handling it real well. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a tough load management, especially for a teenager, mm. but I mean, I, I, I don't say I'm, I'm dumb, but I wasn't one of the smartest kids. I'd play, I mean, you're playing a sport, you should be, at least if you're playing at a high school level, you're playing a sport at least year round. Yeah. You're doing at least something, whether it's workouts or you're playing games in a respective sport. You're doing something all the time. And it, it, I think it's actually a good um, teaching moment of load management because when you're... You mean time management? I think it's either or because you're going to have a lot on your plate. Load because, management? Yeah, because you have different loads. You have to, you have, like you putting have, too much stuff on yeah, your plate. Yeah, thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, I, got, it's, I got what you're saying. That yeah, might yeah, be a, a millennial thing. Okay. Well, no, it's just you have, you have different things you got to worry about because if you just totally push one aside, I mean, that's not good. Like great uh, Leslie Nope quote, well, Ron Swanson quote, don't, uh, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Oh, so, okay, good one. Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's – yeah, it's – I mean, it's tough, but nowadays with so much, like, that you do have to, I mean, with competition, I mean, athletes are only getting better and better as the years go on with the technology and the new information that's out for everyone to use. I mean, you got to compete. If you want to be successful, then you got to put in the work. I mean, and that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, a lot of work, but if you, you reach your goals then it's worth it well and, and that's the the big debate you know there yeah. are some people out there that feel like if you've got uh an exceptional talent at a fairly young age and that's recognized and you know, there's passion there to cultivate that skill and it's so competitive now that in order to you know ex succeed at each one of those different levels as you as you move up you're going to have to continue improving because mm -hmm. of the competition so hard. And so that's the reason for the year round. Um, and I think that's really only holds true, you know, to your, you know, your elite athletes, you know, yeah. especially like when it comes to basketball. I mean, some of those like elite players, um, they probably should just play one sport, but hey, we're talking about such a small percentage um, that that really, you know, 
you can't take that and apply that to the majority. The majority of us, you need to experience everything, mm-hmm. you know, you, multiple sports as much as you can because each sport brings out a different type of experience. Having, you know, a player experience as a football player is the, totally different than, you know, would be as a soccer player mm-hmm. or as a basketball player or as a baseball player. And then competing as a golfer or as a tennis player is more individual-like. Yeah. And that has, you know, a little different kind of feel. But And you're also using different muscles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you play other sports, um, it could help you be better at another sport. Playing football can help you as a basketball player. Yeah. Playing football, you know, also rests certain muscles. And you're not throwing a baseball all the time that maybe now when you go into baseball season, you're more fresh. Well, mm-hmm. look at the the number of taken the last 20 years for uh, professional baseball players, the Tommy John rates. So many yeah. players are getting so I mean, because they're throwing curveballs when they're 11 years old. Yeah. They're, I mean, the human, like, the analogy of the body. Anatomy. 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 Yeah. Well, this is going to be a good <laughs> analogy, but no. <laughs> I, I was going to use a good analogy later, but I'll say that. The anatomy of the body is not, I mean, your shoulder is not supposed to do that. So yeah. when you do it from such a young age, before you hit puberty, you're going on and on and on. It's just the wear and tear. Instead of maybe you think about the great athlete, Bo Jackson. I mean, he's not throwing a baseball 12 uh, months out of the year. Right. Yeah, the, the epidemic of the Tommy John surgery, which is mm-hmm. taking the ligament from another part of your body and replacing the ligament in your elbow because young players showing, you know, some exceptional talent at a young age, you know, end up playing baseball year-round, that mm-hmm. means they're throwing a lot of baseballs at, yeah. at a maximum effort. Mm-hmm. And your body just, you know, has so many throws in it. And there are countless, you know, major league players that have gone through not just one but two Tommy John surgeries. And, and then, they're elite pitchers. It's yeah. not just like the, I mean, Steven Strasburg. I mean, he's at all, I mean, one of the most electric stuff in all of baseball. And he's probably shelved at least twice a year with different shoulder or arm injuries. Right. Yeah. Well, something, Dave, you talked about when our kids were little, your experience with your boys was, you know, you let them play all the different sports. They might have a a better skill set for one, uh, but you were bringing it up, you know, gosh, 20 years ago that um, you didn't really think it was a service for the kids to be kind of channeled into one one direction instead of playing all the other stuff and having fun doing it. And the thing that we're seeing now with some of Jennifer's friends, particularly girls that are decent athletes, they've got a pretty good chance at a scholarship. There are more of those available compared, you know, proportionally to the number of female athletes. But a lot of them, by the time they get done with high school, they don't want to play in college. Right. They want to have a normal experience and not be working five to six days a week in their sport. Oh, so that, that, that college, college athletics is a different animal. It's not, it's, it is, I mean, it's, it's a full-time job. Right. Well, so many parents though yeah. think that their return on investment is that they paid for all these coaches and all this travel <laughs> that they're going to get a college scholarship out of their kids. And, and, most, like and most times by tuition. that, by the time that, you know, student athlete reaches college age. And it's like nah. parents probably have already paid yeah. enough yeah, money exactly right. to have paid for another four years of college. So it's you know it's not a good investment. But and they're besides themselves beside themselves when their kids say, "I don't want to play," even right. they have a college offer for a scholarship right. in front. Like, no, I just want to have a college experience and not be playing sports. Right. Yeah. And, that, even and that's sometimes and like that's if they sad, get injured, yeah. like you were saying, like they just they play that sport so often that yeah. they. Like they the body gives themselves. out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that is that is the big debate. You know, is you know, as a parent, I think you know, every family's got a 
make their own decision. And, and I think what they need to understand is I call the Tiger Woods effect uh, of specializing at a sport at such a young, young age because Tiger Woods, when he came out and, you know, became, you know, the golfer of the year and throughout the, the 90s, um, you know, there was all kinds of uh, reporting how he started at age three. and um, Look at how he ended up. Well, well yeah. I think he ended up pretty good, but not well, many I mean, people. Not as a person. I mean, well. <laughs> I mean we can go there yes. if you want. <laughs> Do it like a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of multiple sports for the vast majority of youth mm. um, participants. And um, a, a good age, you know, to specialize, I would believe, would be no sooner than your second year in high school or yeah. third year in high school. That's probably a good gauge. So Yeah, because, I mean, even Timmy and bo- – both Timmy and David changed their sports. They both played baseball – all the time through up until high school. And they played, obviously, through grade school, they played different sports, but they loved baseball and they played all the time. And then Timmy switched to football and David switched to tennis. So and I feel like a lot of my friends in high school, they're devoted to that one sport and they play that sport. Right. And there's no problem with that if you really do love that sport. I mean, you shouldn't force another, you shouldn't force yourself to play multiple sports because if you don't like it. But say if, if hockey was my main passion, I'm not going to go play basketball because uh, I just want to go want to be multiple sports. No, just if you have one passion, I mean, if it's getting to the point where if you truly love showing up day to day to a sporting event or practice or workout and you just don't mind it, you don't hate it. Mm. You just, you enjoy it. You, you, you like being there, then that's fine. Whether it's four sports or one sport, but it's the infatuation that, you have to play one? No. If you want to play basketball, go play basketball. If you want to play I'm baseball, sure there's some um, kind of statistic out there that um, reflects burnout factor. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, so I only know from experiences um, from my, you know, inner circle, you know, yeah. um, just like Bob mentioned, you know, this tennis player and, you know, good enough to get a scholarship but turns it away because they're ready to just be mm-hmm. a you know a college kid yeah. and you know you can see how that would you know really upset a parent because they've invested to get them to that point and then they're like going no thanks you know mm-hmm. but, yeah you know it's uh I, I just think different sports bring about different experiences and experiencing as much as you can at a young age is best for you as far as you know, preparing you for adulthood because um, sports really does, you know, bring about how life isn't fair. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, so somebody that's really good at something, trying to play another sport that they're not so good at, it kind of brings out the true character of that person, mm-hmm. you know, and then that... Uh, well, it also helps you to deal with, if say, if you have a shoddy coach or a great coach. A shoddy I mean, coach? Look up S H O D D Y. Look it up. I mean, I'm I'm a little more. Uh, I know my. Uh, I, I gotta make. I gotta make up for my millennial analogy. lingo. I gotta make up for my. It's not lingo. It's a good. It's shoddy. Look it up. Okay. It, it's, it makes up for my uh, analogy anatomy. Uh, yeah, when you mix up those words. Yeah. But no, it's you. You look at some of the coaches who are just like. I mean, you're gonna have like I guarantee you, most people are gonna have horrible bosses mm-hmm. in their life. I they mean, made a movie about that. I know it's a great movie. They made two, <laughs> the Shower Buddy. 
That show was a funny one. Oh no! So yeah, it's it's. I mean, you're gonna have bad leadership. I mean, some guys who, whether they don't care, or they care too much, and they're yelling at kids for unnecessary. They're throwing equipment all around because one kid did something. It's like, dude, chill out. And then there's also some coaches that are hard on you, mm-hmm. but for good reasons. Yeah. And that pushes you towards being a better person. It's not necessarily that hard is bad and like going easy on someone is good and certain mostly a lot of different people learn differently through um, different ways to get some some people need to be pushed harder than others and some people just if you put them aside talk to them softly they'll learn but some people need to be like scorned and say hey like repeatedly and i mean not mild-mannered to get them to be pushed forward so i mean there's coaches that flexible with that and there's close coaches that aren't but like it's just like real life there's going to be people that work with you and there's people that not but you're going to have to get along with all of them yeah. if and I've, I've always said that an uncoachable kid becomes an unhirable adult mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to learn how to be coachable by yeah. the different coaching styles mm-hmm. and yeah. if you are able to adapt to that at a younger age as you become an adult, it will pay off because of how you'll be able to interact with your significant other and your coworkers, how you supervise people, or how you get supervised mm-hmm. in your job position because you can draw those experiences from those team sports that you were involved in as a youth. So uh, you, you have to be, as a parent, cognizant of if your kid hates their coach or they blame things on their coach that as a parent you should correct them and say you know listen to your coach and that's not going to be your coach for the rest of your life so you have to sometimes endure those moments and uh and again just like i said earlier an un Coachable kid becomes an unhirable adult, mm-hmm. and there's nothing well, more. You you bring that. up the coaches, and um, no, it's I've had uh, many coach. I mean, I remember this experience when I, I think I was a seven years old playing in like a, a youth baseball league, and there was one coach that took it super seriously. Like, Dude, chill out. These are seven years old. Seven year olds. I mean, it's I mean, I didn't probably care much about the game. I just probably just was out there to have fun with my friends. Mm-hmm. But I remember we were playing in a game, and uh, it was towards the end of the game. I think it was the last out of the game, in fact. And um, it, the coach, I guess I struck out probably <laughs> the, the previous couple of bats. And he says, if you strike out without swinging the bat, you're going to have to run a lap after the game. And, of course, I struck out without swinging. <laughs> so I had to run a lap, and I was just thinking, God, man, I'm not having fun. I mean, the, I get it. How I old mean, were you? I don't. I was like eight years old. It was on the nationals team with all that. Oh, I mean, you remember? And I, yeah, it's and it's just. I coach. didn't coach that team. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, but it's like it's like yeah, I, I get it. Like we took it a baseball. I mean, strike out swinging on three pitches without swinging the bat is horrible. But as a seventh grader, that was, I mean, seven year old, that wasn't on my mind. Yeah, I was probably thinking about the snack afterward. Right. Yeah, I was just. But it's it's the it's the the attitude that the kids should know what they're doing. It's like, dude. They're, they're kids, remember? Mm. So I'm, I remember I was so embarrassed running around like like as a punishment. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I mean, it, it, in that, I remember I was sick for a couple of days, and I missed a couple of practices. I got moved down the lineup. Dude, this is the big leagues. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a bunch of seven-year-olds. But it, 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 you've carried this with you for Oh, yeah. This is emotionally yeah, scarring. I, I, I go to bed every night. It's like, 
frick this coach. I 14 years old. But later. no, it's 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 something I didn't want to play. And then, of course, like having multiple bad coaching experiences, it just kind of it just takes the fun out of things. Like, and it's and those are at like a level before I was in my teenage years. Mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't the point be is to get these kids to love the game, to be repetitive in this nature of work on the skills? Because I mean, I guarantee you, you look I, look at all the athletes that were super. Like focus on a sport, their parents push them so hard. Coaches push them so hard. Tiger Woods, he hasn't had the best personal life. I mean, Todd Marinovich, is that is that oh, night yeah. right? Yeah, look at look up look him up or watch the thirty for thirty on him. That's a train wreck of a story. But it's just all these guys who are just pushed so hard. I mean, that's I mean, Todd Marinovich wasn't allowed to have a hamburger like a, a, a cake when he was young. I mean that that mess with the, messes with you mentally. So when you're Wrapped he smoked in. a lot of marijuana in high school. He, too. Well, he did a lot of other drugs too. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, it's yeah, I'm telling you, it's a great documentary. But it's just the point where let the kids be kids, mm. and like I said, okay, they'll be they'll be a great professional athlete, awesome. But when they're six feet under, does that really matter? It's going to be about what kind of great person they are. Yeah. You look at Barry Bonds. Yeah. I know, great. You hit 760 plus home runs, awesome. But if everybody thinks you're an asshole, I mean, what's that all for? Yeah. Does it matter? Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, it kind of. Ty Cobb wasn't a real, uh, you know. Team I know, but that's favorite, the point. But, I mean, you're Ty Cobb played in what 1904, and you're talking well, about. In 50 you're bringing years, up now how much of an asshole about, he was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. cool, he stole a lot of bases and hit. I mean, but he was. If you're an asshole, I mean, you carry that reputation for you, and especially if you have that kind of spotlight on you. I know it's hard because I mean, it's hard to think about. Your reputation like that, I mean... And even, like, when people look up to you. Yeah, and then they, I mean, Like, maybe if they look up to you and they get a chance to meet you, and they're like, well, that guy was not but no, nice that's, to me. No, that's why I think it's so awesome when I hear it. There are a lot of great athletes who you meet, and you're like, that dude is awesome. Yeah. He's an awesome athlete. He's an awesome person, and Paul he's great Goldsman. to other people. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, those, I mean, those, <laughs> those type of guys... I mean, those guys are just... I mean, they're so rare, and they're so... Uh, genuine that you just can't help but love them. You can't root that. You can't help but root them on, and that's that's something that I mean, it's awesome because they care more really about who they are as a human being than uh, a sports figure. Yeah, which is I mean, the sports gets you where you are, but to be a great human being, just kind of you're on a platform. People look up to you. That's Tim, awesome. Tim Tebow. He's a great human yeah. being. Great human being. <laughs> Matthew, met Matthew I met, met Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. Yeah. And, and he's like, you, you, you hear, you say Tim Tebow, describe him in a sentence. I mean, it's, it's totally true. He, oh, God bless you, sir. It's great. I mean, he's the awesome. He's like, oh, best of luck on your season. Like, dude. Like, and how vilified was that guy because he's oh, a white yeah. male Christian? I mean, they just wanted to take that guy down because he was People talking about against celibacy. People baseball. Yeah, he, he was he talking about good values, and the media just wanted to shred him because they could. He's an awesome human yeah, being. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really horrible that that guy gets vilified for being as good of a person as you can be. Yeah. And, and, and like, you saw him without the cameras and everything, Matthew. Oh, yeah. No, he was just playing. It was at Scottsdale Community College, and it was in one of the back uh, practice uh, fields, and Literally, we just, I got a text from one of my buddies like saying, Tim Tebow's on this field right now. I was like, no way. Let's go check this out. And it was him. And um, we were kind of like starstruck at first because it's, it gets Tim Tebow at our community college. And finally, one of my friends said, hey, Tim, can you take a picture? And then we, so we started to engage with him. And he was, he was not like, he was totally receptive. And he was, hey, like, I'd love to talk to you guys. And it's just like so cool because he didn't have to do any of that stuff. So what we, to, what we see on TV about Tim Tebow is pretty much the way he is. It is literally to a T. It's like 
the like stereotypes for that for Tim Tebow is I mean it's literally who he is and it's and it's just awesome when you see stuff like that. Yes, and, and then I, I'm definitely Tim Tebow won't be he, he shouldn't be really known for a Heisman Trophy or however well he does in baseball. A lot of people know him for all of his philanthropist, uh, like all the great things he's done because he's a great person. Mm. Yeah. So okay, so that was like really good way to sort of end this yeah. but i wanted to ask you one more Just question of course. Moving. Of course. <laughs> so of course. i was gonna ask you one more question that i couldn't fit in when yeah. you were on your yeah. spiel. My spiel so i'm just gonna add, i'm just gonna <laughs> ask you this okay so matthew you touched on this a little bit but obviously you played football and baseball in high school and then you played in community college so how redshirt i wasn't good <laughs> but no let's let's clear that out of the way okay well um what were your, like your experiences through high school in the one year of college you played um it's what was it what was it like what was the difference it. like when you were talking earlier about college being just a different level tell us about oh, what it was yeah, like with the athletes and the no, quality it's, of it's it's to a point where and at a, i mean it's community college i mean arizona community college is very competitive and i was only there for pretty much six months i wasn't around practices a lot i was redshirted so but you in just a couple of practices you can notice a difference because all these guys are on they're, they're talented. There's not going to be a guy on a college baseball field that's a slump. He's mm-hmm. going to be good. So you got to bring your A game every single day. So it's the little things. It's backing up bases. It's doing everything. I mean, if you have a God-given talent, then you probably aren't at a community college. I mean, there are a lot of talented community college baseball players out there. But to separate yourself, you need to do everything like to the minute detail. And you got your work ethic's got to be good because guess what? If you're if an average high school athlete, go to community college, and you don't put the work in, you're lazy on the field, you're lazy on the base paths, you're not going to make it, and I can guarantee you that. But well, like your I brother, said, you know, when Ryan went yeah. there for football, mm-hmm. didn't he feel? And it, I think it's a little bit different for football. Maybe yeah. there are some some of the community colleges out here before they shut down football, which is horrible. It is horrible. But there were some really good athletes that were playing at that level that oh, he knew were going to be Division One well, the next season, and he was just like yeah. his head was kind of spinning, wasn't it? As far well, as yeah, the athletic uh, skills uh, for football, mostly a lot of those guys can't. I mean, Last Chance U is one of the most popular Netflix shows, sports shows, and that's kind of how it is at most community colleges for football. A lot of these guys get kicked out, or they they're just they don't have the smarts. I mean, Notre Dame they do like that's one of the high up schools. There's other high up schools, Wake Forest. Um, that those are just two that are that I mean they really do hold uh, their academic status high, and morons. <laughs> I've got morons on my team. No, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> so if you can't make it in those schools, I mean they're both prestigious uh, universities. You're gonna go to the community college, and there's nothing wrong with that. You go ball. I mean, look at all the great. I mean, Cam Newton played in community college, but that's probably because he. You no, know, it is because he stole a laptop. I mean, mm-hmm. you look – well, he, he did. Larry Garrett Blunt, who, I mean, had a lot of success with many Super Bowl, uh, I think with the Eagles and the Patriots, he played at a community college. I mean, all these guys – and there's nothing wrong with playing at a community college, but you know it's kind of the real deal. It's I mean, it's competitive. And there's a great story that I uh, – from a couple years ago, talking to some of my community college buddies, they, um, they said there was a top uh, – I think – I'm not going to get this name right. It's a uh, community college in uh, southern Louisiana. It's kind of the LSU feeder school. Mm-hmm. So if you're not good enough to go to LSU, go to community college, play there. And Scott still played them a couple years before I was there in the College World Series. And their stud pitcher was a guy who went to a TCU. 
and he throws like 95, 90s, upper 90s, disgusting breaking ball. And um, he he got kicked off the team. I think I, I'm not going to – I don't know for – I think it was cocaine or he got a DUI. And so he was kicked off the team at uh, uh, TCU. And so he, we went to this community college and just lit up. He had like a sub-2 ERA. He was unbelievable and goes to LSU the next year. Hmm. I mean, so it's kind of like a fallback. There's extremely talented kids, but – like I said, it's if you want to, if you do want to, if you don't have that God-given talent, then your work ethic's got to be the best. Because mm-hmm. there, there are there are guys who aren't the best athletes that are. Look at take Ben Zobris for example, who he wasn't going to play college baseball, and he he literally after high school took one uh, camp opportunity, and he didn't do that to get notice. He just played it because he had one more day of baseball. He just loved the game, and look where he is at. He had the most what probably the the biggest hit in franchise history for the Chicago Cubs breaking the 108 year curse but um i mean it's just it's just you got to love the stuff and if you're not god given talented then like i said it's okay but like just to know if you want to take that college step it's it's like i said it's a real deal and i have a couple friends playing college sports right now and they, they it's stressful cuz you got to manage a full load of um classwork and a full load of uh athletic stuff and it's not easy it's not easy whatsoever. So if you're if you're not prepared for that, then I mean, there's no problem with turning it down. Just having a regular college life. Yeah, great. That that's all awesome stuff. Great observations and great um, suggestions and advice for everyone else. Do you guys have any like any closing things you want to add? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I wish I threw a potato at one point. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, th- well, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah of this course. Is awesome. Thanks for coming yeah, over. It's, it's a lot of fun and. Um, you know, I always tell people life's all about stories, and um, you know, sports has uh, been a big part of my life, and mm-hmm. has provided for a lot of stories and a lot of life lessons, and um, it's uh, you know something I'm very thankful to be a part of, and yeah, and uh, and we really enjoyed uh, our time on your podcast. I, I have some closing thoughts. So I took out my phone, uh, googled "shoddy" s h o d d y. Badly done synonyms. This, poor quality. Is it Webster's inferior. dictionary. Um, or, or is this urban? Some millennial. It's not dictionary. urban dictionary. It's millennial. It's a word. I learned it in a vocab course. I learned it at a Catholic school that you guys paid for. So it's well, worth it. And okay. also, um, like I'd say, about probably over half of this. I'm gonna have an office quote. I don't know if you guys watch The Office. I love The Office. Oh, so um, <laughs> so when I'm talking, I, I don't know where I'm gonna get there, and I just hope I'm going the right way. <laughs> you know, what sometimes I'm I start a sentence, and I yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm starting a story, and I'm like thinking, it's like, God, where's the hey, story going? That's what she said. Yeah, that's what she said. Well, roasted. Michael Scott. No, but yeah, it's. You miss all the shots. I, I, you don't I say hope, wing, I, hope I'm, um, uh, I make sense. And I'm not just totally rambling about uh, whatever. I hope I did. Well, there's a little bit of rambling. I'm glad. It's awesome. I love this opportunity. Oh, look at me. I'm rambling again. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Ooh, right out of here. Yeah. It was all good stuff, and it was great hearing from you guys and all, like, the advice you have through playing high school and in the mm. college sports and even just for kids who maybe haven't started playing high school yet or in the middle of playing high school and want to go play college. And just, like, obviously having the team camaraderie and being oh, part yeah. of your team and not me, me, I, even though I'm part of, like, yeah. you're part of it's, the team. Yeah, your your team, like, your team is first, <laughs> and your team, like, they're your people. You're going to people you're going to go back to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a part of your team is one of the most important things. Like, even in tennis, you are that one person on the court, and you play your own match. 
but you play with your team and you play to help your team win. And I think just being a part of your team and wanting your team to win over yourself is oh, one key. of yeah. the better part. It makes it makes yourself a good it's, teammate. It's, yeah, it, it makes your team better. Yep. Yeah. That's probably the one thing, one closing quote. It's just what you said. Be a good yeah. teammate. Perfect. Yeah. That should be the goal as parents and you know all kids you know that are student athletes. Uh, that should be paramount over everything is to be a good teammate. Yeah, well, and make your team better. Closing over out one sometimes. last, uh, knowing someone, a great family friend that we know. Uh, I mean, Luke Cornett is playing for the New York Knicks right now. We had the pleasure of uh, seeing them play the Phoenix Suns a couple weeks ago at um, Talking Stick Resort Arena. And unfortunately, he didn't play. He started a couple months before. He, he was starting for a good period of time for the Knicks. I mean, big franchise. And uh, he got sent to a bench roll. But um, being live there at the game, seeing his uh, demeanor off the bench, first one to give a high five. Mm-hmm. Always. First one off the bench during timeout, giving high fives. And you show he's a great teammate. I mean, I mean, when the NBA, when that's kind of the personality-driven league, where kind of guys are gloat. I mean, they're 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 personalities. I mean, they're they're flamboyant, and yeah, they keep really. Like it's very lose. individualistic. Where Russell Westbrook cares so much about whether he gets a triple double so he can get that MVP. Where it's awesome to see somebody I've known since he was like eight years old. He should be your next guest. <laughs> yeah. Cornette. Yeah. I mean, he, he's seven foot one. He and you, you talked to him, played with Ryan yeah. when great, extremely scores. humble. And it's, it's so cool to see a guy. I mean, he's just a great person mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, he's going to carry with that for as long he's going to be way done playing. He's still going to be a great person, Yeah. but that's just, it's just cool seeing. I mean, this is little stuff that stand out like that. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. Thanks mm-hmm. for coming All over right, and yeah. talking Anytime. to us. Anytime. All right. Yeah. It's, it's been so much fun. Well, that about desert. Wraps are all up. Yeah, it was great talking to Uncle Dave about well, hearing the potato story from his point of view, and just talk about sports and like youth, youth sports and coaching and things like that. Yeah, I mean, certainly he's dedicated his life to his athletic pursuits, and he's been a great father and spent a lot of time coaching his kids, and now he gets to watch his kids coach other kids, and some great insight. So that was very valuable to have them there, and hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great hearing his story. Thank you for coming along on this journey with me and just listening to my uncle's story. It was great to hear him talk about everything. Because, you know, life is short and so am I. And I'm just trying to make the most out of every day. And I hope that you guys do too. I hope you all have a great journey and make it an epic one.